0: We have uh, one last standalone message. We had a couple of uh, Christmas messages, another message today, kind of on its own. And then next Sunday, we'll be starting a brand new series on the book of Daniel. So if you're interested in reading ahead a little bit, you can start reading into the book of Daniel. But today, we want to talk about all things made new. What else could we talk about for the new year than all things made new? Uh, Richard Baxter was a very effective pastor in England in the 1600s, a little, just a little while ago. And, and though he never received any commissions or awards, he is one of the most well-known Puritan preachers of his era. He uh, is an author of numerous theological works, and his most quoted statement is this, I preached as a dying man to dying men. It's kind of the theme of his life. His whole adult life was spent battling one sickness after another. He was harassed by a constant cough. He had frequent nosebleeds, migraine headaches, digestive ailments, kidney stones, gallstones, the list goes on. Now, he believed in God's ability to heal. And he said that several times he was restored to fruitful labor because of God's direct intervention. He said that once a a cancerous looking tumor in his throat literally vanished while he was in the pulpit testifying about God's mercies. And yet bodily suffering remained with him to the end. He once said that from age 21 on, that he was seldom one hour free from pain. Now, one of the effects of this suffering was to make him intensely conscious of just how temporary this life is and how inevitable death is. Once when he was 35 years old, he was bedbound by one of his various diseases and he believed that he would not recover. And so he began to meditate on the joys of heaven and of the age to come in preparation for leaving this world. He focused especially on the hope of glory and he began to write out his thoughts from what he assumed was his deathbed. But to his surprise, he recovered. And his thoughts, though, became a book entitled The Saints' Everlasting Rest. And from that day forward, he took up the practice of meditating on heaven a half hour each day because of the powerful impact that it had on his life. He then commended the same thing to his readers. And so I'm going to read a little quote from that book. It's kind of in old English a little bit so you'll have to read between the lines and listen a little harder than you might normally but listen to what he wrote if you would have light and heat why are you not more in the sunshine for want of this recourse to heaven your soul is as a lamp not lighted and your duty as a sacrifice without fire fetch one coal from this altar, and see if your offering will not burn. Keep close to this reviving fire and see if your affections will not be warmed. That's good advice. And I think that, you know, the Apostle Paul told us the same thing in Colossians chapter 3 when he wrote these words. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen? In other words, as Christ followers, we are to live with the constant awareness that we are citizens of another age. We are to set our minds much on that age. We are not to be conformed to this age, to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so if indeed that we are citizens of that other age, then it's important for us to focus on the objective reality of what is coming for us in that time when the Lord will declare, Behold, I am making all things new. That's a, an excerpt from our Bible passage today from Revelation chapter 21. And the book of Revelation is the final vision that the Apostle John is given of what is to come for God's people in the future. And today we're just going to explore just some of what that will involve for us and for all of God's creation. Because we are privileged to know just a bit about the future through John's writings, not only can we be comforted for our own destiny... But we also have a responsibility to share about that future with others who need it so desperately. The person who knows that his or her destiny is glorious and certain should be free to live a life of love and of sacrifice here on earth. Let me give you an example. If you happen to be in an airplane and somebody fell out of the airplane with no parachute on, Well, you don't have one either. You're not going to jump out of the plane, are you? That wouldn't do any good. Two deaths aren't better than one. But if you happen to have a parachute on, you might just try one of those kind of awesome rescue attempts. You know, the kind you see in a James Bond movie or a Mission Impossible film. Jumping out and free falling like a bullet, trying to catch the person below you, that helpless person, and, and Perhaps you were able to catch them and pull your cord at the last moment. You see, it's the hope of safety in the end that releases us to radical, sacrificial love now. So I want to invite you to join me in reading our portion of scripture today from the book of Revelation chapter 21 as recorded by John after his amazing vision. All right? Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. Let's read this together. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Amen. God's word. Well, you see, friends, it is the hope of heaven and the knowledge of that preferred future that is outlined in this passage that, as followers of Christ, enables us to take risks and to love others sacrificially. When we live our lives out in this manner, people take note. They will look at your life and they'll ask, what is it that motivates you? They will seek out information about the hope that flows through you. And and do you know what those people see when they ask about your hope? They see you jumping out of an airplane to save another person. And so they might say, hey, how can you jump out of the comfort and safety of the airplane? And our answer should be, I have a parachute called the hope of glory. That's what I want us to think about for a few minutes this morning. What will it be like, this hope of glory that belongs to each follower of Jesus Christ? What will it be like when the Lord makes all things new? He wants us to have assurance that no matter how much evil, how much suffering, how much sickness, how much futility that we see or experience now, He wants us to know that he will make all things new. And so for our remaining time I want to look at four ways that this newness is coming. Four ways in which God will make all things new for his people. The first one is this. God is going to make us spiritually and morally new and glorious. You know I think perhaps the greatest frustration of this age for Christ followers is that we still sin. Or, oh, is that just me? I don't want to assume anything about you, but we still sin. The Apostle Paul describes this painful truth in Romans chapter 7. Listen to what he writes in verses 23 and 24. He says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. This war is the most frustrating thing about life in this age. I I think at least it is for those of us that are children of God. We want to be holy. And yet we fall short of the holiness that we long for. We want to love. And yet we find ourselves saying hurtful things to people. We want to worship. And yet at times we feel disengaged or cold. We want to walk in peace. And yet we experience anxiety. We want to be pure in thought. And yet impurity bombards our minds at times. Yes, there is some progress, absolutely, as the Holy Spirit certainly helps us in our weakness. But what we long for is a permanent deliverance from this inward struggle. That is what God promises when he says, I will make all things new. We will be spiritually, morally new, not just partially, but wholly. Look at verse 2 from our text. John writes, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. You see, folks, this is a picture of the church, prepared and beautified for her husband, Jesus Christ. When God makes all things new, he makes the church. That's us, the people of God. He makes us spiritually and morally beautiful. For his son. Look at the, the way that this is described a, a bit further in this chapter. We didn't read this far, so I'll read it for you. Verses 9 through 11. John writes, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven, the seven last plagues. And he spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And in the spirit, he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city. Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. That's the same image we read in verse 2, isn't it? Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. You see, when God makes the bride ready for the sun, the way he does it is by giving us his glory. Did you catch verse 11 there? Having the glory of God. And this glory will purify us so deeply and so thoroughly that we will be like a rare jewel, clear as crystal. Don't you just long for the day when you will just be so good and so right and so pure that you will be like a translucent jewel? That people will look at and see straight through without seeing any impurity at all. Nothing hidden. Nothing shameful. That is the first way that newness is coming. God will make us spiritually, morally beautiful for our final marriage with the son. Well, there's a second way that God makes us new. And that is that God is going to make us physically and bodily new and glorious. Now, the, the Bible does not teach that that final state of glory is one of disembodied spirits. And so I want you to get that out of your mind. If you have the idea that when we get to heaven, we're going to be sitting on a cloud, floating around, strumming a harp, that's, that's a cartoon. That's not what God has for us. Now, during John's era and around that time, the Greek philosophers, Plato and other Greek philosophers, they wanted it that way. See, they understood that the body was a drag on the freedom of the spirit. But the Bible teaches a very different destiny for God's people. God will make all things new including our bodies. Verse four that we read points in this direction. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Now I don't have to ask for a a raise of hands to say who has encountered death in their family with their loved ones? Who has encountered pain? Who has experienced tears? You see, what this passage means is that the body we know will now be changed because it, it dies. Did you know that? I'm sorry to inform them if you didn't know. You are in the process of dying. Whether it's soon or or 40 or 50 years down the road. We don't know. But you are in the process of dying. And that hurts. And our bodies cry. And our emotions cry. But if death is gone. And pain is gone. And tears are gone. Then the body as we experience it is also gone. Now that might sound kind of like Plato, good riddance to the body of pain, but john 's revelation is plain that the point is not good riddance to the body, but that God will make all things new. The apostle Paul put it like this in in his letter to the Philippians in chapter three when he said, "Our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject, subject all things to himself. And so it is a new body because it will never die again. It will never hurt again. It will never cry again except perhaps tears of joy. That is what we have to look forward to. Now, you know, there are a lot of people who feel like perhaps they didn't get a fair shake when bodies were passed out, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Some people have dramatic physical deformities, some have lost limbs, some are paralyzed, some can't hear or see, some have terrible skin blemishes some live in constant pain and the list could go on but God has no intention of leaving anyone of his children in that condition if they will trust him now he sometimes has his purposes in allowing physical hardship. When we went through the Gospel of John recently, you might remember in chapter 9 that there was a man who was born blind. And he struggled with that all of his life. And we learned that God allowed that condition in his life in order to reveal glory. But most times, the suffering that we experience in our physical bodies is a result of this broken world and system, and regime that we live in. This world that is constantly decaying and breaking down. And we are a part of that. And so we need not be surprised when our bodies suffer. Or when this earth, this globe suffers. Because it's not getting better. And we're not going to save it. Because everything is destined to be rebuilt and renewed. But God has no intention of leaving any one of his followers in pain or disability of any type when we trust in him. And so when God makes all things new, he promises to make our bodies new. Well, third, God is also going to make the creation new and glorious That's the point of verse one of our text. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I don't think that God, this means that that God just picks us up and takes us into a new solar system. He certainly could do that if he wanted to. But the hope of the prophets all throughout scripture seems to be that this earth, And these heavens will be made new. God will renovate the whole thing. It's kind of like a a global home rehab project, right? And everything, everything futile and evil and painful will be done away with. Paul put it like this in Romans chapter 8. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the liberty of the glory of the children of God. Isn't that an amazing statement? You understand that? That this world that we live on, this spinning globe, is in bondage to decay. But one day, this world and all of us who trust in Jesus will experience the full liberty of the glory of God. The newness and the glory of the church, the children of God, is primary, it's first. But then God promises that the glory of his people will demand a a glorious creation to live in. And so the fallen creation will obtain the very freedom from futility and evil and pain that the church is given that you and I will experience so when God makes all things new he makes us new spiritually and morally he makes us new physically and then he makes the whole creation new so that our environment fits our perfected spirits and bodies which leaves then one last work of renewing when God makes all things new and that is number four that God will make our relationship with him new and glorious. John tells us about this in verse 3 when he writes, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them. Wow. Now, it it is certainly true that God is with us now. His spirit dwells in us. Jesus promised never to leave us until the end of the age. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, While we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Here we walk by faith, not by sight. So there is a a deep and a painful sense in which we currently are away from the Lord. We do not see as one day we will see. Jesus once said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Friends, that is a promise Something greater is coming for all of us in our relation with God. Have you ever heard a a little kid talking about God and they might say something like, "Uh, but daddy, I can't see him. Well, that's a reality, a real heart cry that we should never lose. Later on in Revelation chapter 22 in verse 4, There's an answer to that, kind of that cry. It says, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. You see, when God makes all things new, he will make us spiritually and morally as pure and flawless as crystal. He will give us a body like the body of his glory. He will renovate all creation, take away all futility and evil and pain. And finally, he himself will come to us and let us see his face. These are not imaginations. These are not fairy tales. This is the reality of who God is and what he has planned for each of us who would choose to follow him. And so forever and ever, We will live with pure hearts and glorious bodies on a new earth in the presence and the glory of our Heavenly Father. Kenneth E. Bailey spent 40 years teaching the New Testament in the Middle East. And he writes these words. He says, while living in the south of Egypt, a group of friends and I traveled deep into the Sahara Desert by camel. As our trek began, the temperature soared to above 110 degrees Fahrenheit in the shade. And there was no shade. (laughs) On our way, one goat skin water bag leaked all of its precious contents. With consumption high due to the heat, we soon ran out of water. And for a day and a half, we pressed on while enduring intense heat, heat and thirst. The goal of the excursion was a famous well named Beer Shatun deep in the desert. Our guide promised us that it was never dry. Ah, but could we survive to reach its life-giving liquid silver? He writes, my mouth became completely dry. Eating was impossible because swallowing felt like rubbing two pieces of sandpaper together. My vision became blurred and the struggle to keep moving became harder with every step. We knew that if the well was dry, our armed guards would probably have forcibly seized our three baggage camels and ridden them back to the valley, leaving the rest of us to die. As I staggered on, my mind turned to scripture. Blessed are those who thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It occurred to me, he writes, that I had never sought righteousness with the same single-minded passion that I now gave to this quest for water. Well, Mr. Bailey writes that the group did finally manage to stagger to the well. And it was full of the wine of God as water is named by the desert tribesmen of the Middle East. It's a remarkable story. But it just causes me to ask this question this morning. What what about you, friends? What will you thirst for in the year ahead? Will the, the promises of the newness that God has for you, will they be kind of a warm, fuzzy thought? Or will those promises motivate you to change, to help others to find the water of life? Will his promises bring you calm certainty in the midst of this crooked and perverse, depraved generation in which we live in? Or will you continue to dwell in the age of anxiety and fear and doubt? You see, the choice is ours. The offer has been made. One day he will make all things new. But until then, we can choose to rest in his promises and the hope that they have for us and help others to find that rest as well. And so that is my prayer for each of us for 2024. That we might hunger and thirst for righteousness and help others to find the water of life that we've experienced. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the hope of glory that you have placed before us. And Father, as we look in this world that we live in, a world full of war and anger, resentment, depression, anxiety, Father, as we look about us, Father, might we be drawn to the water of life. Father, may we have that calm confidence that can help us to continue walking through the desert that surrounds us until one day we fully drink from your well. Until then, Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit gives us the ability and the strength to do what we could never do on our own. Father, we thank you for the body of Christ, the church, so that we can have fellow sojourners walking the journey with us Father, thank you that when one is weak, others can come alongside and help them. Father, help us to have eyes for those who are weary, those who are struggling. Father, help us to have that awareness to reach out and to point others in the direction they need to go. Father, thank you for the hope of glory that resides in our hearts as we choose to follow Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.